Principal Matters Podcast, episode 221. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Each week, I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about designing outcomes in leadership with my special guest, Jethro Jones. Jethro Jones is an education leader and consultant who helps schools and districts find simple solutions to complex problems. Named a Digital Principal of the Year in 2017 by the National Association of Secondary School Principals, Jethro has served students as a teacher, district coach, media and distance learning specialist, and principal with experience at every level of public education. He's been hosting the Transformative Principal Podcast since 2013 and is the founder of the Transformative Leadership Summit. He is married and has four children and is the author of the new book, School X, How Principals Can Design a Transformative School Experience for Students, Teachers, Parents, and Themselves. And you can find his resources at Jethro jones.com. Jethro Jones, welcome back to Principal Matters. The last time that we sat down for an interview was episode 163 in September of 2019. And I looked it up today. The very first time that you were on this show was July 26, 2017 for episode 74. So this is the third time that you have been on this show. So welcome back. It is so great to see you, my friend. Before we jump in, I just want you to give the audience a quick update. Like, where are you? Because, you know, I, because you, you normally you like you're up in the great tundra someplace, but I think you've actually moved. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We moved down from Fairbanks, Alaska to Spokane, Washington. Um, and it's been a great move. Uh, the family's happy. Uh, except for one child who isn't very happy about moving at all, <laughs> but you know, that's kind of how it goes sometimes. So, so that's all right. Um, and so we, uh, uh, we're here, we're happy, we're enjoying um, being down here and grateful for the opportunity uh, to be here and experience things. And I went back to my archives and found that our first interview was my episode 75 and that was back uh, June seventh, two thousand fifteen, on my wow. podcast. Wow, we've been friends a long time, Jethro. That's so exciting. And you know, you know, we could walk down memory lane all day long. But I, I do want to congratulate you on moving from one beautiful place to another beautiful place. Yeah, thank you. And later in the show, I, I do want to unpack for listeners for those that feel like they may know you. Um, personally from hearing you on my show or from listening to your show consistently. I do want to unpack a little bit later some of the work that you're currently doing. But first, I just want to celebrate this great book, School X, How Principals Can Design a Transformative School Experience for Students, Teachers, Parents, and Themselves. Congratulations on your new book, my friend. And I want to just dive right into a question because Mm -hmm. um, there's so much I want to talk with you about. And I know that I know, I know how you work your schedules, Jethro, and I know you're limited on time. So I'm going to try to get as much of you as I can in this conversation. So here's question one. You work with a lot of education leaders on how to facilitate change. And your book is just chock full of great ideas. But what's just one tool or strategy that a leader could be thinking about today that you might use if you were helping a leader think about, think, 
about how to facilitate change in their schools? Well, you're right. There are so many different ways that we can approach this problem and so many different things that we can do. And so the thing that I would focus on first and foremost is gaining empathy for those you're working with. And so before you go start trying to change anything, you want to see where people are at first and you want to get an understanding of what they're experiencing. Because if you do that, you'll see what is not working, what's making them frustrated or upset. And then you'll have a way to help have a conversation about making some positive change. And it's not always um, easy to gain empathy, but it's really, really important. And one simple thing that I, I talk about all the time to gain empathy is to walk up to the front doors of your school and see what's on the doors as you approach the building and see how that makes you feel if you weren't the principal there. And so, you know, one of the things that I've seen a lot is that uh, there are signs on all the doors that say, everybody who comes in must check in with the office first or else. And it sounds really threatening and intimidating. And I think the idea is for people to feel like they are uh, safe and that, you know, we're care we care about their kids. We're not going to just let anybody come in. But all too often that signage comes across as you're not actually welcome here and you have to check in um, and we have to make sure that it's okay for you to actually be here. And so rephrasing that, thinking about how that could be differently, differently stated would be really beneficial to help people um, see how it could be done better for them. Mm, I love that. And what I love about that is being able to take yourself out of your own shoes and try to put yourself in the perspective of someone else, Jethro, and that works for so many different settings. Um, wow. I mean, and I think about that in the terms of just walking into my own work setting or walking um, into the school from the perspective of a parent or a kid or walking into any classroom from the perspective of an outsider, but then trying to help other people see what that perspective is. And I think that's, that's, that's where the leadership translation comes in is being able to take that experience then and then move that into a way to communicate. So I'm going to, I'm going to push you a little farther into that conversation, Jethro. So as, as leaders are identifying areas within their school that maybe the perception on the front end isn't as positive as it needs to be. How, how do they facilitate conversations to move forward with staff or with teachers in recognizing that and changing? Well, in, in many situations, you don't have to do, you don't have to have any conversations. If something is negative, nobody's going to complain that it's gone, right? So if there's something that's negative, go rip those signs off and see what happens. See if people still come into the building and check in at the office. And if they do, then that's great. And if they don't, and some people start going inside doors or whatever, then, then that's different. And that's a pretty simplistic example, right? But there are many other examples. If you have a policy in your school about teachers, you know, turning in lesson plans at a certain time, and you've sent out emails every week for the last six years to make sure people are turning their lesson plans on time. What if you didn't send out that email? What if you just stopped looking at lesson plans? Um, I was in a district once where, where we were required, teachers were required to turn in lesson plans. I asked everybody I could from the superintendent down to my secretary, why do we turn in lesson plans? Why do they need to be turned in? Why do I need to look at them? What am I looking for? Not a single person could answer that question for me. So you know what I did? I just stopped caring. <laughs> I stopped focusing on people turning in lesson plans. 
because it was perceived as negative and people got all tied up in a knot about it. And they would say like, where do we turn our lesson plans? How do you want to do that? And eventually I just said, don't worry about it. If I need your lesson plans, I'll come and get them from you. But I couldn't conceive of a time where I needed their lesson plans um, on a regular basis like that. And so I think that somebody before me had just said, lesson plans need to be turned in at this time at this way. And, and, and that just kept on going for years. And it was throughout the whole district. And I asked all my other principals, like, why do we collect lesson plans? Nobody had any good reason. And so we just stopped it. So there are some things that are that simple. They're bad. They're not good. There's no purpose. We just do them because we've always done them. Well, you know what? Just stop doing it and see what happens. In other situations, you do need to talk to people. And so when it comes time to talk to people, you, you ask them how they perceive that that thing is going and whether or not it's worthwhile. And, if, and then you ask a very simple question. If that wasn't a thing anymore, how would that impact you? And mm -hmm. so if they say, well, you know, if I didn't have to turn in lesson plans, I wouldn't write them. And I think my teaching quality would go down. Okay, you're going to still turn in lesson plans. That's an easy solution. But the other teachers who that's not going to happen with. So for me, turning in lesson plans um, made me feel like I was checking a box and that nobody really cared. It would have driven me crazy. <laughs> and that was never a requirement for me as a teacher. But had it been, it would have been one of those little annoying things that I would have hated about my job. Um, that doesn't mean that I didn't write lesson plans. I did great lesson plans, uh, in my opinion, of course, but but I wouldn't have enjoyed having that as a as an additional thing. When there was a time for an evaluation or an observation, I turned it in lesson plans pertaining to that, but otherwise, I just didn't think that was important. So ask what it would look like if that was not required or if that was not the case or if it was the case or however you're going to change things. Ask what it would look like if that was changed and see what people say. And if they're positive about it, then they're going to be pretty much on board with, with you making the change. Oh, you've got me brainstorming all kinds of creative strategies, Jethro, because that makes me think about like, you know, Principal Matters listeners, you may want to think about doing a situational audit. Hmm. You know, look at the look at the practices that are happening in your school. If you were to make a list, if you were to ask your teachers, let's list all the different processes that we follow on a daily, weekly, monthly basis throughout the school, and then ask those questions, Jethro, that you just ask. Why do we do it? What's the purpose? Is it necessary? And I, I bet you would find all kinds of other items on that list mm -hmm. that have existed historically that may no longer be applicable. Um, or you may find some things on there that need to be continued. And you may find some things that didn't exist on that list that probably that may should have been on that list that 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 aren't. Um, so yeah, I love that. I love that feedback. Any other thoughts on that? You know, we often make it look, make it seem like any change needs to be like, everybody's a hundred percent on board. We need to get consensus. And we really don't need to do that for every change. We need to do that for the change that requires that, but we shouldn't do it for every change. So don't, don't think that any change has to be this big initiative that we spend months planning for and carrying out. Think about things as what's the smallest change that I can make that will get me closer to the desired result. I also liked how you said that if you if you remove a negative behavior or a negative action, most people are not going to complain. <laughs> so, yeah. and so if there's something that needs to be changed and you replace it with something positive, uh, you're correct. I'll give you an example, Jethro. We probably talked about in school culture. You know, 
how do not only do, what do people see when they walk in your building, but how do they feel when they walk into that front office? You know, are they greeted as guests? And so, you know, so what things can you add to that experience that make them feel welcome, whether that's a coffee maker or pastries or someone that can greet them? Um, and so, you know, adding those things into your school environment that provide positive experiences for people, um, you're right, if, if they didn't see that, that's that warning sign, but they're instead they're greeted by a welcoming person, uh, I guarantee that their experience is going to be positive. They're not going to be writing you a note about some sign that was missing from the front of your school. I want to ask you some questions also, Jethro, you know, because when you wrote this book, you were sharing so many lessons that you have learned from guests from your shows, from your own school leadership experience, but you've continued working with leaders even through this pandemic. And I know that back in the summer, you were offering some um, some help for leaders who were trying to brainstorm ideas for reopening. And so I'm just curious now that we're at the time of this recording, um, coming to the end of first semester, what are some things that you're seeing, uh, lessons or takeaways that you're seeing as principals are managing schools in such a crazy time like a pandemic? You know, this might be a little controversial, but I'm gonna say it anyway learning loss and learning gaps is not a thing. Those don't exist. They exist for us as adults, but for kids, they don't exist. Let me give you an example. Um, my oldest daughter, as you know, has Down syndrome. And when she was born, that changed a lot of things for us as a family and helped us see things in a different way. And I have three brothers and three sisters, and we always talked before she was born about whose kid walked first, talked first, you know, crawled first, all that kind of stuff, those milestones that you think about. And everybody compares those and thinks the earlier you do that, the smarter your kid is. And that's, that's all well and good. And you can keep, can keep doing that as much as you want. However, what I had to realize with my daughter was that when she was 18 months old and sat up by herself for the first time or rolled over by herself for the first time, that was a huge milestone for her. And that doesn't mean that she was dumb or that she was behind other kids. She was developmentally not progressed as far as other kids, sure. But for her, she was, she was just learning the next thing that she needed to learn. And that's been the case for her whole entire life. And I promise you that is the case for every single kid who's been out of school since March because of this pandemic. They are behind in your eyes as the adult they are not behind in their own learning. And what I am so afraid of truly in my heart is that we are going to say, we need to catch these kids up. They're all behind. And we're going to have this whole generation of kids who believe that they're dumb because they didn't go to school for a certain amount of time. And I'm here to tell you that is not the case. They are not dumb and they do not have a learning gap. They may be behind where they would have been otherwise, but you can't prove a negative, right? You can't say, had they been in school, they would be here because we don't know what that would look like. All you can say is these kids are ready for the next step in learning. And I do not believe that any kid is going to be at, in a detrimental position because they haven't been in school since March. It's mm -hmm. okay. We all as the adults need to take a chill pill and just relax and recognize that they're just ready for the next thing. There are going to be some kids who are going to quickly get quote unquote caught up to where they should be in their 
in the scope and sequence that we've designed for them. But the reality is, is that no kid follows that exactly how we think they should anyway. They never have, and they continue, they never will in the future either. So these learning gaps, the learning loss that we're afraid of, it's not a real thing. It's something that we have manufactured. I don't know why, because it doesn't serve anybody, but we've manufactured that and that doesn't exist. Every kid is ready for the next thing they need to learn, whether they're in the same place as their peers or not. So I would say as we close out this semester to remind yourself of that and remind yourself that they don't have to be in a certain place for it to be beneficial. They don't have to have the specific content knowledge or whatever to be a, an adequate human being. They already are. We can't change that about them. We just need to respect where they're at and not get bent out of shape because they haven't been in school because learning happens outside of the four walls of our classroom as well. And they've grown in ways that we can't even fathom right now. And we need to honor that. What I like about that, Jethro, is your reminder that students, that children are resilient. And and as and as adults are wrestling with what those protocols should be looking like, because some people have returned, and it just depends on where you live. Some communities, schools are back face-to-face with protocols. Other ones have distance learning happening, and others have virtual options. And you know all the, all the options that you've seen across the U.S. and the world. Um, but in commu- But whatever that looks like for each community, what I've seen with principals, too, is what you're seeing, which is their commitment to the resilience of their kids, no matter the setting means they're figuring out a way to make it happen. And so, it, because they can't control what they can't control, you know, they can't, they can't control the, the community, the numbers of, of cases or hospitalizations or deaths in their communities, no matter how hard we try as schools, there's certain things we can't control, but we can control the attitudes that we have towards the learning of our kids. So that's fantastic. Any other thoughts on that? It's just really, it's just really easy to focus on the wrong things in education and I just did an interview with Ryan Godfordson. He talked about leading indicators versus lagging indicators and lagging indicators are those things that we typically measure. Things mm-hmm. that happen after the fact, like a state test is really an autopsy on how the year went. And it's usually not very effective in helping us make real change in our instruction. What is effective is actually instructing and then getting feedback from the kids and adapting your lesson the following day. And so the, the feelings that we have at school, the emotions, the, um, the culture that's at our school, those are all leading indicators that are not incentivized, that we don't pay a lot of attention to, but that we really should focus on. And if we do, then we're going to see better success in the end. But more importantly, people are going to feel valued and feel part of a community and feel like they matter as human beings more than, um, than if we're just focusing on what their test score was. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm going to jump to a question that leads me back to your book for just a minute, Jethro. And that is um, one of the stories that you tell when you were a teacher and you made the mistake of complaining about your students on, on social media. You might want to just unpack that for, for a minute. But, but the question I want to ask you, because being an educator, especially an education leader, takes so much courage uh, to be vulnerable, to realize that in every single moment of every single day, you have the chance to to fail and to succeed, but I, I, but what seems to differentiate strong leaders from others is their ability to keep moving forward even after they've failed or hit obstacles. So I, I just wanted to, first of all, um, point listeners to that story because it's a great 
uh, part of your book. But I wanted you to unpack it for just a minute and and apply it to some of the things that you're seeing leaders face today. Yeah, so this is actually something that I have thought so many times about whether or not I should delete. Should I delete the original Twitter post and should I delete my reflection on my blog about it or not? And so I actually haven't, and here's why. I believe that when we make mistakes, we show great resilience and ownership of those mistakes when we actually let them exist and let them be. And so I, in April of 2008, so this was 12 years ago when I was still a teacher. The the infancy of Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, Twitter really hadn't been around very long. I got on on, um, in November of 2007. And so there was, you know, I was only on there for like six months. So I, I had seen how great Twitter could be. And I still think that it's great, although less so now because, um, you know, all this political garbage that is on there and, and it's not helping us move things forward. And um, the conversations I used to have were, were really great and I really enjoyed it. So anyway, um, about two months before this incident happened, I, I ripped, I caught three, a, a couple of girls cheating on a test and I ripped up their papers in front of the whole class. Rookie mistake, totally a dumb thing to do. Not how I would treat people today. And I'm embarrassed by how I treated these girls because that's not who I am. And I knew as soon as I did it, it was the wrong thing to do. Well, guess what? That leading indicator of the culture in our classroom, guess what it did? It tanked. It was awful. They felt like I didn't respect them. I showed them that I didn't respect them by how I acted. And then it just made it difficult for the, for the next couple months. So then in the morning, I got a notification that we were going to have a fire drill that day. So I tweeted, fire drill with my worst class, lucky me. And think, not thinking anything of it, right? So then these girls and a bunch of kids in, in that class, they had the fire drill they knew that I was talking about them because that's when we had the fire drill. And I don't know how they found it exactly, but they saw it or one of their parents saw it. And they, they were just in a foul mood for the rest of, of that, uh, that day until I finally said, what's going on. And they basically said, you said that we're your worst class and what's up with that. You're a jerk. And they were totally right because that was totally inappropriate for me to do. And I don't know why, I did that to this day. Um, I think I was trying to be funny and it certainly did not come across that way to them and they were offended and hurt for good reason. So I'm leaving that up and, you know, I put the link, uh, I sent you the link so you can put it in the show notes and, and I'm happy to share that out there because I have literally buried that in 12 years of positive Twitter content um, that I hope, you know, if you can go find that and it's there, But if you do, you're going to have to wade through 20,000 other tweets that I think are positive and uplifting and helpful. And and that's one of the things that I I want to help people understand as they're dealing with social media is there's power for goodness there, but there's also ways that you can mess up. And I want to leave that there so that people can learn from that experience and see what I was thinking in 2008, 12 years ago. I haven't edited this post since then. And, you know, I just want... I want people to be able to learn from that and recognize that it's not the be all and end all, you know, what happens one day. And honestly, yeah. I've gotten in a lot more trouble since then. <laughs> so. so I want to just pause and state the obvious for a second, Jethro. Um, first of all, it's amazing that 
you have been vulnerable enough to like take that out of the, the, the education lab and allow people to dissect that with you. I mean, you put it in your book even so as a, as a, as an example of that kind of vulnerability in, but then two, uh, something else that uh, I've already mentioned to listeners at the beginning of the show, you were the national digital principal of the year in 2017. And so if right. you think about what, well, so you think about that moment and then fast forward almost 10 years later, when you're recognized nationally for the, amazing amount of work that you were doing across social media platforms, across podcasting, in driving the positivity of your school cultures to the point that you have a national distinction for that. And you still are doing that even today. So what I love about that story is, is your ability to, to, to say, look at, let me just hold it up to the light. You know, this moment that I had in my own education journey that taught me humility, that taught me a really good practical lesson that, that reminded me of the importance of the culture of my, of my kids um, but let's apply that for just a moment to leaders, because there may be someone listening right now who's stepping into a day uh, where they may have already stepped in a big mess, mm-hmm. or maybe they're coming into the day where the night before they managed something where they feel like they were creating a mess or trying to manage a mess. What kinds of words would you have for that principal who's who's consistently hitting those kinds of obstacles? And sometimes you just want to give up. Yeah, I've been there also. Um, so my first thing would be, give me a call, 801-7-JETHRO, because I've been there. And whatever you're going through, I've probably stepped in also. And we don't talk about this stuff a lot publicly because it's professionally embarrassing and it's uncomfortable. Um, but these things happen and they happen to everybody. So no matter how good a principal you are, if you're actually trying to do things that matter, you're going to step in it sometimes. And if you're just trying to like keep the school from burning down, you're probably not. And so if you're just trying to keep the school from burning down, I actually don't want to talk to you. That's not the kind of people that I'm, (laughs) that I want to work with. But if you're trying to do great things and you're making mistakes and you're stepping on toes and people are getting upset, man, you're in good company. And don't you forget it because the people who need to make the change, they have to make people uncomfortable and step on toes sometimes. And it's, it's not fun and it really stinks being in the middle of it. But I want to tell you, there's light at the end of the tunnel and you can get through it. And there are other people out there who have, who have been there and, and it's not as bad as it seems, even when it seems really, really bad, getting a little perspective, a little bit of time is going to be really good to have happen, but that doesn't change how scary it is in the moment. So give me a call 8017 Jethro. Wow, Jethro, what an amazing takeaway. I don't know why I'm having this memory, but I'm going to share it. Um, This was a couple of years ago. I was talking to a a seasoned educator, and she was telling me that one of the most distinct memories she had as a high school student was being in an urban school that was experiencing desegregation. And there were protests and fights that were happening in the school. And she specifically remembers her high school principal hiding, like going, running into the school and hiding himself in his office. She's never forgotten that. I mean, she's an adult, a seasoned adult. She may have even been retired when I talked to her at at that time, but that was her distinct memory of her high school principal. And when I think about what you're saying right now in terms of, you know, principals who just don't want their school in trouble or just don't want their school to burn down, you know, principals who are making a difference also get remembered by their kids too. And they're usually the ones who are willing to step out and take a risk they're willing to use the ones who are willing to step up and do something courageous. They're willing, they're usually the ones who are also okay with failure. And I want to ask you about that too. 
you know, because I'm just curious what motivates you personally, Jethro, because you're one of these people who you're always putting yourself out there and putting yourself out there means whether that's in school leadership or in the classroom or even in the work that you're doing now, you run the risk of failure, making mistakes, and then you hit success. So I'm just curious. I I think other listeners would like to know this about you too, and maybe people that listen to your podcast, but what motivates Jethro Jones to consistently keep facing obstacles, even when you know that that might include failure? So I don't think that um, anybody can do anything great without a really deep personal why they're doing it. And so for me, that is a very spiritual process. I believe that every single human being is a child of God. And so when I think about how we can help children of God become the best versions of themselves, I I can go all day and all night on that belief right there. And so for me, it's not about improving our education system, although I think that's important. It's not about making our teachers better, although I believe that's important. It's not even about helping individual principals. For me, it really goes back to that core why. I believe that every child, every human being is a child of God, and they deserve to live to their full potential. And and they deserve to have somebody there who's fighting for them to get to that point. And that's what I believe that that I that I do. And so yeah, people reject me. People reject me because of my faith in God. People reject me because of because I'm white and they may be black or or some other race or whatever. People reject me because I'm not a perfect principal. People reject me for all kinds of different reasons. And the reality is is that people are always going to, somebody's always going to reject us. And so the key to not taking that personally is for me to recognize that it's never about me. It's always about somebody else. People aren't rejecting me because of who I am. They're rejecting me because of who they are. And that's, that sounds at first negative, but the reality is, is if somebody's not ready for the kind of work that I'm able to do with them, then they're rejecting me because they're not ready for it. If somebody's already done the work that I'm willing to do with them, then they're rejecting me because they've already been there and they don't need me. And so instead of saying it's about me, somebody's rejecting me, I, I don't think about that very much. I'm not going to say all ever because I do sometimes, but I don't think about that very much because what I interpret from that is that it's just not the right time for them. They're not in a place where what I'm offering really resonates with them. And in, in many ways, that's hurt in the past, but uh, right now, I'm at a place where I just recognize that that it's not about me. It's about them not being prepared or ready or they've already done it or whatever the case may be, and I just need to get over it and go talk to the next person. Mm, wow. There, there's so much I think we could unpack in that, in that conversation, Jethro, but a couple of thoughts that just came to me. One was, you know, when you understand your why and your mission, which in your case, and I think we share this in common, is helping other people flourish, you know, because because they they are created in the image of God. They are they have equal dignity and they deserve to flourish as human beings. Then it really doesn't matter what your position is. You can be the custodian in a school, the principal of a school. You can work outside the school, but if your mission is the flourishing of other people, then you have a why that's bigger than yourself as you're stepping into that work. And I think that helps you keep perspective so that it's not about you. 
it's about the mission. It's about the, it's about helping other people. And, and I think that's a great reminder for leaders. I said this, I think in a recent episode too, that I often will remind leaders of two things that sound contradictory. One, you're not as important as you think you are. Your school's going to exist without you. So be humble, but two, you're more important than you think you are because those that the, the things that you do as a person, the integrity you have, the trust you have, the humility you have, it does matter. And it's going to influence the people around you in ways that are going to help them or hurt them. And so, uh, and so what I love about that, Jethro, is that you, the condition of who you are as a person will drive the way you behave um, as a leader. Any other thoughts on that? Because I want to, I want to unpack one other area with you before we wrap up. Well, I really like that idea of you're not as important as you think you are and you're more important than you think you are. I, although that, that seems like it's, um, it, you know, a false dichotomy, I, I really believe that. And I, I agree with that sentiment because we do need to be humble. We, need, we do need to recognize that, you know, we're not the be all and end all. And we have to recognize that we are cogs in a machine in the school system. Like the school's going to exist once we're gone. The school's going to exist once these kids are gone. But we really need to spend every waking moment that we can making sure that this is the best possible experience for those kids because their lives really do matter. And that goes the same for us. We need to make sure that our experience in our schools is really good because we matter and our lives matter. So we need to be sure that we're doing whatever we can to help ourselves and help others live up to the potential that we have, which is so vast. We can't even comprehend the potential that each of us has inside of us. Well, Jethro, you have accomplished a lot in the work that you have done outside of leading a school. I mean, your podcast now has been going for a long time. It's this highly successful education leader podcast, the Transformative Principles Summits that you began years ago um, for, for some of the very first virtual learning platforms like that that existed for education mm-hmm. leaders. Your ability um, to create masterminds and bring people into groups and do learning and executive coaching. And so I, I'm curious because I get to sit in this room with you, but I think listeners would be too to unpack just a little bit what, what the work looks for you now is jethrojones.com as you've moved into education consulting. Um, and, and a follow-up to that, and you may marry these in, in your follow-up here, but, but I think there are other leaders out there that yearn for ways that they could begin to share or present or grow their own capacity or maybe even do education consulting. So tell us a little bit about what that journey's looked like for you. And then maybe we can talk a little bit to the listener who may want to do that kind of work him or herself. Yeah. So, um, so what I'm working on right now is really working with individual principals on transforming their schools, redesigning their schools to meet the needs of everybody that's there. And I mostly do that through the mastermind. I do some one-on-one coaching as well. Um, but that really, um, is exciting to see. So the way that I look at it is that if you go to a conference or you have a speaker come and speak to your staff or whatever, that's like having a a microwave dinner, you know, it, there's value there and it fits your needs at the moment. And you may not have the time to, you know, do something more than that. And that's all well and good. Um, what I believe though, is that the real power comes from this, um, you know, 
if you go to like a slow cooker and you like have this crock pot meal that's been simmering all day long, I mean, when you eat that, it's like a little slice of heaven. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Or you go have a brisket that's been in the smoker for 18 hours and it just melts in your mouth. Like that's a different experience than a microwave meal. And the mastermind is more like that slow cooker, that, that smoker that is just marinating the meat and making it just taste so good that you just want to eat that all day long. And, and so that's what the mastermind is because you, every week we meet and talk about how to become better. And we're not going to see somebody go from one experience, you know, one week, they're just struggling the next week. They're just knocking everything out of the park. The struggles are still going to be there. And because it is a, a closed space and it's, it's confidential, people are able to be a lot more open about the challenges that they're facing. And we're not there like, you know, trying to score political points or anything like that, because that just doesn't exist in there. We're all equals in there. And it really helps each one of us become better in whatever way we need to. So there's not like a curriculum to follow or an agenda. There is you getting better and everybody's working towards that. So what I love about that is that no matter where anybody's at, they can come in there and get inspiration and feel better about things. And in fact, one principal, after she leaves that meeting each week, um, her secretary says, oh, you must have had your inspiration meeting because I can tell you're all inspired and you're not like this every day. <laughs> and so it's like, you can, you can tell when these good things are happening. And so, so that's mostly the work that I do. And if you're interested in that, jethrojones.com, there's a little button on there that says, click to schedule a call with me. You can certainly do that. And I'd be happy to, to talk to you about whether or not that's, that's a good fit for you. What's so exciting about that is that I get to see people really grow and learn over time. And one lady that I've been working with for over four years, I mean, every week when I meet with her, I'm just inspired by how she's still pushing and striving to be better. And she has grown by leaps and bounds that none of us could have ever predicted four years ago when we started working together. And it's just Mm -hmm. awesome. Um, So I just, I love doing that work. Well, Jethro, you know, you and Danny Bauer, you're both friends and you guys really inspired me to consider masterminds as well. And in the work that I do, I, I right now I only have time to, to lead a gr- one group, and but it's been such a powerful experience. So thank you for introducing me to that concept because you're right. I love the, I love that illustration. It's like, you know, all of us can enjoy a night out for a dinner, you know, and it might be even a, a great dinner. It might be a fun event, but a consistent family meal on a weekly basis with people that you really trust and enjoy, that's where relationships are built. And that's where some really deep learning can happen in ways that can't happen in a one-time setting. And so, um, you know, so uh, Principal Matters listeners, I know that you hear me talk about masterminds and you may have reached out to see if I have availability, but Jethro's able to do this consistently and has lots of opportunities. So I, I just encourage you to go to his website at Jethro jones.com and look at those opportunities or reach out to Jethro directly. I did want to follow up Jethro and ask you that second question, because as I work with education leaders and you and I've done this now for several years, we also meet like a lot of like-minded people who, who are at places in their leadership where they're like, you know, Will or Jethro, I would like to do some of the same work that you guys are doing in terms of giving back or sharing or presenting 
um, how do I how do I do that? How do I step into that kind of opportunity and work? And you and I have heard, I, we, I don't know if we've talked about this on our podcast before, but I've mentioned before that I have heard that question asked to, for instance, one time I heard a, a consultant ask that question in a, in a podcast setting and his only response was, well, just be really good at what you do and someday you'll get an opportunity. And, and that's not untrue, but I just think that's not helpful. Um, and so I just wanted to ask you that question, Jethro, uh, if someone's looking at ways that they can enhance those opportunities for themselves, what were, what were, what are some tips you'd give them? Well, you're definitely right on the, uh, that's not very good advice to just be great at what you do. And then eventually someone will pick you. Um, I, I don't personally be- believe in that because um, not everybody, those who pick can't know everybody who's possibly out there. And so you have to pick yourself and you have to say, I have something positive to contribute. And so let me tell the story briefly of how my podcast started. I was listening to um, the Practical Principles podcast with Melinda Miller and Scott Elias, and they stopped. And I was a principal at the time. And I was like, what am I going to do for for professional development now? That was my go-to. I loved that podcast and I looked forward to it every single week. And I was like, why are there no other principal podcasts out there? And I would search and I wouldn't be able to find any. And I had this idea in the back of my mind, well, why don't you just start one, Jethro? And I was like, well, I can't because whatever my lame excuse was at the time. And so this thought just kept nagging me. And so finally I said, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And so I decided I was going to start. And I was so nervous that nobody would say yes, that my very first interview actually split into two episodes because I thought I wouldn't be able to find somebody else who would say yes. <laughs> and, and now here I am at, you know, I just record episode 402 today earlier. And so 400 episodes later, seven years later, haven't missed a single week, but that's because I chose myself. Now, if I was waiting for someone to fund it or to say, this is how it's going to happen, um, that would have never happened. And it's led to other opportunities. So number one, choose yourself. Number two, um, just network with people and talk with them and reach out and find out how you can help them. For me, that has been um, a really big key to my own personal success. I've reached out to try to help people, but also on the same token, I've reached out for help and I've asked people, how do I get better in this particular area? And my podcast, if you listen to it and you were to listen to all 400 episodes in a row, you would see my progression throughout my career and how the things I thought about changed, the questions I asked changed, and the things I focused on changed. Um, and so really pick yourself and then go start networking and ask for help and offer help. Those would be the two things that I would say would, would be the best thing to do. And if you have even just a little inkling and you're not already doing something in that direction, you need to start today. Don't waste time. Don't like hem and haw. I got to make it perfect. None of that has to happen. In fact, just the other day, I was talking to this guy and he was, uh, he's a principal and he wanted to help principals get or help teachers become principals. And so he, you know, said, well, I want to do that, but I don't know how much to charge and I've got to start a business and all this kind of stuff. And I said, look, man, you don't have to do any of that. You just need to find somebody who wants to work with you and get better. And he said, well, I've already offered it for free to a bunch of people. And I said, well, good. Next time somebody talks to you, you've got to charge them. And he said, well, I wouldn't know how much to charge. I said, it doesn't matter. You just got to charge something. So just try that out and see what happens. 
And if you if you do it for a Subway gift card, which is what I paid my very first guest on my podcast, um, then that's okay. You know, it can be that simple. But what matters is you recognizing that you have value and expertise and knowledge to give. And I would just encourage you to share that. Personally, I believe everybody should have a podcast because not only does it help you connect and learn from others, it also helps you articulate the things that you believe in. And that helps you in a multitude of ways. It'll help you with your staff. It'll help you with with your students. It'll help you with if you decide to go and be a consultant later, like all those things, it will be beneficial. Wow, Jethro. I, I wish we had time to unpack that even farther, but I'm going to just encourage Principal Matters listeners. I know there's someone out there listening right now. So for some of you, this may not apply. You may be like, man, I am leading this school and I don't have time for any other, you know, any other actions in, in, in development. But there's, I know there's someone listening out there right now who's considered podcasting or you've considered presenting at a conference or you've considered that next thing. And Jethro, there's so much to unpack. I just encourage you listeners, rewind that five minutes and listen again, because there's four or five specific things that Jethro says there that if you do, you're going to you're gonna reach a height that you've never reached before. And that is choose yourself, be courageous to try something you've never tried before, and then be willing to reach out and ask others for help and how to do that. And then eventually take that really courageous step of being able to ask someone to compensate you for that work too. If, if that's, if that's the goal that you, that you want to reach and Jethro, I, I share so many of those same sentiments. I remember so much of that fear of, of stepping in for the first time. I, I remember the first time you interviewed me, it was before I was podcasting. And I remember just that the nervousness of being on the other side, but watching you do the work. And, and I was just so anxious about getting it right for you. And, but then I also was inspired. I was like, wow, look, he just did that. And I wonder if I can, and, and so, you know, fast forward several years later and, and you're, what did we say? This is episode 221. And so I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not there yet, Jethro. You're, you're, you're going to podcast till, you know, for the rest of your life and you're younger than I am. So I'll never catch up with Jethro Jones, but, but what great takeaways um, for, for listeners. So principal managed listeners, I just want to encourage you. Um, you know, my friend Jethro Jones has been doing this work for a long time as an educator, as a former teacher, as a principal, now as a former principal, who's now a full-time education consultant, and you can find all kinds of value in his book, School X, How Principals Can Design a Transformative School Experience for Students, Teachers, Parents, and Themselves. Jethro, any parting words for listeners today? And and I've already mentioned your website several times, but what, what way would you like them to connect with you? I think my parting word here is, um, is just be courageous and do do the next thing that you need to do. I don't know what that is for you, but you're listening to this and you're obviously wanting to get better. If that's reaching out to me or Will or Danny Bauer or Bill Ziegler for doing a, a mastermind with one of us, that's great. If that's just getting some individual coaching, that's great. If that's starting your own podcast, that's great. Whatever it is that you need to do, we've talked about a lot of stuff here. Whatever you need to do, just get started on doing that next thing. Put the next foot out and get going. And you're going to be so grateful for that when you when you just keep taking those steps to improve. We don't have to move mountains tomorrow, right? We can just take a little step every single day and it'll get us there. And, you know, having 400 podcast episodes to me, it's not really that big a deal. 
but I made a commitment to myself that I was going to do it and that I wasn't ever going to miss. And so to me, that's what really matters is I just did the next thing that I needed to. And, and that's what we all need to do because we all have these amazing gifts and abilities and we just need to live up to the potential that, that is out there for us. So don't be afraid. Just do it. If you need support, hit me up. I'll be happy to help you out. Well, Jethro Jones, thank you for the excellent work that you do in serving others. And I know that you're talking to me after a long day of other interviews and other consulting. And so I appreciate you so much. And Principal Matters listeners, thank you for doing what matters because just like Jethro, you can be courageous. You can take that next step because what you do matters. And we'll talk to you next week. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.